I'm Alejandra Melian. And I'm Megan Miguel. Welcome to Talking Culture. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional and unceded territory of the Ganyan Gahaga on the land known as Chilchage. We recognize the Ganyan Gahaga as the rightful stewards of this land. Hey, Alejandra. So nice hey, to see you. <laughs> I know, you too. This is almost, it's almost like normal. I'm in a closet that I found. <laughs> You're under a blanket. <laughs> it's like we're in the same place. I almost forgot you weren't here. <laughs> yeah, this closet looks suspiciously like my Montreal closet, but it's not. It does. It looks very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sim- the same clothes are hanging down around my face, but... <laughs> yeah, this is how I'm space. used to seeing you in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> how have things been going? I know you're you're still field working it up. Oh, what yeah, a dumb way I to feel- say that. <laughs> No, I am I am field working it up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's going really well, actually. Yeah, I I don't know. Um observation is going super well. I've been in an edit for a couple months now. Um and I've got like a million interviews scheduled over the next few weeks. So nice. that, you know, it's exciting. Yeah, it's good. Busy stuff. but exciting, um, I guess. <laughs> yeah, busy but exciting. And you know, it's so it's just super, super different than the field work that I was doing for the first six months of my field yeah. year, you know, where I was like out in these very like rural or like wilderness spaces. And now I'm in the city sitting in an <laughs> office building. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's, yeah. I mean, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That can be really uh, a little um, like discombobulating. Is that the word? Like, I know when I come yeah. back from, like, field work sometimes and you get into the city, you're like, oh, okay. I know you're still doing totally. field work, but, like, it's that same kind of feeling, right, of being disjointed no, a bit. No, for sure. For sure. And I think that what's weird about it is that because I'm in an edit right now and then, like, in post-production spaces, like, watching people work on computers and, like, watching people work, you know, in collaboration together, I'm just, like, sitting on a couch taking my field notes, whereas, like, before... I was running around after camera people, helping them with their cameras, carrying a a million bags. And like I was taking my notes and stuff, but it was there was a lot more going on with my hands. (laughs) And now (laughs) I'm just like sitting there with my notebook. I'm like, wow, this is this feels very luxurious (laughs) (laughs) on a nice couch, not out in the dry or in the wet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mm. But yeah, it's going it's going very well. I'm so glad to hear it because, yeah. Mm miss having you in Montreal I yeah say. as I know, soon I as soon I will will be leaving also but it's if very all goes, exciting if all goes well <laughs> yeah congratulations I don't know have we talked on the podcast since you finished since you passed your comps I don't have think so that? I've been kind of like okay. absent from the podcast while I was doing comps so I don't think so I mean no. fair enough <laughs> well congratulations in front of all of our listeners <laughs> Megan you. has passed her comps super super exciting I'm sure you were awesome <sighs> yeah yeah I mean awesome maybe but I did pass so <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's what yeah. counts here. <laughs> that, that's what counts. I'm sure you were awesome. Don't let your committee make you feel it any other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a conversation for off the podcast. Another day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, on that note should we uh should we get into it do you want to go first (laughs) yes speaking of the podcast let's do a podcast (laughs) um okay well surprise surprise i am talking about climate change you no yeah me shocker um (laughs) no never i'm never talking about climate change uh, but specifically today, I'm discussing the latest IPCC report. Um, for those who don't know, the IPCC stands for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, which released its third report on the state of the climate this week. So this was the third and final section of the IPCC's comprehensive review of climate science. Um, so pretty much they have compiled the findings of thousands and thousands of climate scientists, making this truly like, pretty much everything governments need to know um, about the state of the climate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, the state of the climate, <laughs> to sum it up, is not not good. Um I know that we all know that, and honestly, I feel like most people who are listening to this podcast, unless I'm like super mistaken about our listener demographic, um, doesn't really need to be convinced that this is a massive problem. What I do think is helpful about the report is its list of what really needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to sum it up, coal must be phased out of our energy sector entirely, like no more coal. Mm -hmm. Um, And methane emissions need to be reduced by a third. And then they also said that, yeah, a third. (laughs) They also said that reforestation needs to be happening on a large scale, but they they stressed that this can't be used as a replacement for reducing fossil fuels. I feel like often governments and businesses are like, we're going to plant a ton of trees. I'm like, great, that's great. Reforestation is important. But no amount of it will offset the damage that's being done by fossil fuels. Um, Yeah. And then on top of that, the report says that we need to be investing in low carbon technologies six times what we currently are. Um, So a lot more money needs to be poured into low carbon technologies. Um, there's obviously a ton more. We'll, we'll link the report in our show notes and on our website. But, um, yeah, that's a, you know, a quick summary of what they, what they said. Um, yes. And not only that, um, (laughs) the report also says that greenhouse gas emissions must peak by 2025. So like, so soon. (laughs) I know. That is three years away, a little bit less, because we are in April now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the Guardian article that I was reading around about the report pointed out that reports by the IPCC take about seven years to complete. And so that means that this report is literally our final warning before the world is set irrevocably on a path to climate breakdown. Like, we don't get another warning. This is it. Because they, this this all needs to happen before twenty twenty five. Yeah, and the Guardian article quoted representatives from the committee who were saying that they're 
also certain that both governments and businesses are are lying about their emissions. So like, you know, governments and businesses will report on what their emissions were for a year or, you know, a certain amount of time. And pretty much they're just not telling the truth, which is not, I don't want to say that's shocking, but it's just like, like, what do they think is going like, to, who is to that, happen? Who's that helping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess I know <laughs> that uh, not, none of that is, is good news. Um, no, but I mean, this, I didn't really yeah, expect it to be great news, but um, that's not good. <laughs> it took a wild amount of courage for me to open the report at all, just because I knew that it was not going to be anything that's going to make me feel good (laughs) but Mm -hmm. still think important to look it over but yeah I don't know this like tendency of governments and businesses to to lie is sort of where I want to take our discussion because I want to ask from an anthropological perspective like what does it take to constitute an emergency Mm. Um, because since the Russian invasion of Ukraine and fuel costs have been rising um, associated with that but not only tied to that Countries like the U.S., the U.K., and a lot of EU nations are considering ramping up their fossil fuel extraction to compensate. Um, so, you know, clearly the war in Ukraine is an emergency and governments are considering rising fuel costs in emergency. Um, but this massive global crisis is not being considered an emergency. Um, so very easy question for you, Megan. <laughs> what is an emergency? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's a lot to take in all at once. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, I feel like, I mean, I heard that this came out, but I haven't seen a ton of reporting on it, um, which also bums me out because, mm-hmm. like, this is our lot. Like, why are we not... <laughs> You know, and I think that speaks to your question of, like, why is this not being considered an emergency or, like, taken taken seriously? I mean, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, it's not a question I think we're going to answer, but I guess, I guess it's all of these things that are tied into this, like, global-scale capitalism that mm-hmm. just seemingly we're not willing to part with <laughs> you know no, and I fossil know. fuels yeah. are a huge part of that i i think that we saw that also like with the war in ukraine but i think also with the covid-19 pandemic and the language around that of just like it's just dropped right off like this is no longer a problem even like mm-hmm, let alone mm-hmm. an emergency when people are still dying from it you know and so i think it's a similar thing here it's like well we've you know let's if we don't talk about it like an emergency we don't have to treat it like an emergency no that's yeah that's true but and like for for a very long time I was like well it's just people's inability to look towards the future um Mm -hmm. and to conceptualize future emergency but like this is no longer really in the future you know like climate emergency is happening now but 2025 like we said before is three years away and governments and businesses are more than able to consider their projected earnings or their projected projected proce- profits three years in the future, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so you can, we have the ability to project forward at 
three years. And so I just don't think that I can use the excuse anymore. It's because people are seeing it as a future problem. You know, like I just I don't think that that even works anymore. Well, and I think it's not even a future problem problem anymore like we're already like yeah I know that um like kind of western and northern countries like you know Canada the U.S. uh, Europe Mm -hmm. have kind of been Mm -hmm. able to ignore the effects because it's not been at home but I think if we're looking at even Canada in the last year or two the like number of climate emergency you know emergency level um impacts have been rising and rising like in bc alone last year you know there was floods there was the biggest heat wave in you know recorded history (laughs) and it just keeps going on and on and wildfires and like nothing i don't know it's so frustratingly nothing was done (laughs) yeah i i know yeah and like i i just I don't know really what to do. Um, yeah. To be On honest, an individual like I, scale for sure. It's like what? What do you do? Yeah. Or even like who to appeal to, you know, and like or what? What? I don't know how much more we can say. You know, like this report is out there. They know. Like we need. I don't know. Action needs to be taken. Um, mm-hmm. But so I don't know. I don't normally plug other podcasts in our podcast but there is this podcast called um how to save a planet that is amazing and i am really looking forward i'm sure that they will say something about this report in an upcoming episode and they tend to have at the end of their episodes um like an action list of things that you can do um in the in the present to to sort of you know make something happen and so if (laughs) my little spiel here has given any of our listeners climate anxiety first of all I'm really sorry (laughs) but second of all do look up how to save a planet and look out for an upcoming episode about this report that I imagine will happen um and listen till the end and maybe you can get some action points and do something (laughs) yeah I know now that's what I am going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is always hard to like to hear these because like it needs to be bigger than just like we need to do our part obviously but like you're right like yeah. who do you even appeal to any like the governments don't yeah. want to do it the corporations don't want to do it you know I don't know like what <laughs> The information's there, you know, the stop signs like huge and in our face and we just blew past it, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, totally. I imagine that you have something super light and fluffy (laughs) and fun for us today. (laughs) Yeah, totally. No. um, (laughs) So what I want to discuss today is the recent meetings between indigenous leaders from Canada and Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. So if people don't know already, um, a delegation representing Inuit, uh, the Métis National Council and the Assembly of First Nations met with Pope Francis in Vatican City um, from March 28th to April 1st. So like this just ended um, to discuss the intergenerational impacts of the Canadian residential schools and the Catholic Church's role in that system. So. Although this isn't the first time that a pope has met with Indigenous peoples on this issue, 
um, the ongoing identification of unmarked graves at residential school sites across Canada has reignited calls for the Pope to finally, finally, give a formal apology for the role that the church played in all of this. Um, And an apology from the Pope is actually one of the 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report published in 2016. So on the last day of these meetings, um, in a public meeting with the entire delegation, because there were several um, private meetings with the individual delegations, um, Pope Francis in his address did give an apology. Um, He said specifically that he is very sorry and that he feels indignation and shame while also expressing his intent to visit Indigenous communities in Canada this year, um, like as early as this year, which is something they've been asking for. Um, However, the reactions to his apology have been really mixed with Indigenous peoples um, in Canada, some seeing it as a big step forward towards reconciliation, which, you know, this is a a big thing they've been asking for, while other people are saying that it just doesn't go far enough or that it's kind of too little too late, you know, like, where was this, you know, X number of years ago, you could insert, you know, any number there. Um, So as I've been following this story over the last week and a bit, I've been thinking about the idea of a politics of recognition in settler colonial nation states. So like thinking about um, what Glenn Coulthard wrote in uh, Red Skin, White Masks, where he describes the relationship between Indigenous peoples and nation states like Canada and how it's changed and shifted, but has remained colonial to its core. And so how that kind of politics of recognition allows the state to demonstrate like a change, like look at us making these changes without actually making any moves to fundamentally change this um, settler colonial structure that's in place. So I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think an apology from the Pope is, you know, a step on the way to fundamental change? Or is this kind of just a politics of recognition at work? I guess, I don't know, I'm thinking... I guess it really depends on how much sway and how much power we think the Pope has Hmm. politically currently. For states like Canada that don't really need to listen to the Catholic Church in order for their politics to go forward, I feel like this does seem to be more of a politics of recognition because like, if the Pope says he's sorry, that doesn't mean that any action needs to be taken by the Canadian government in the present to change the realities of Indigenous peoples living here. Um, And, you know, unless and unless he's going to actively lobby the Canadian government to improve their policies around Indigenous peoples, then, you know, him saying he's sorry doesn't really doesn't really do anything Mm, yeah it kind of made me think of you know Justin Trudeau met with the Pope uh 2017 I think and asked the Pope then to give an apology and I think that definitely would fall into like a politics of (laughs) of recognition in Canada um yeah the the current government does this a lot (laughs) Yeah, I didn't remember that he had done that. And, like, that is crazy to me that, like, okay, sure, Justin Trudeau is asking the Pope to give an apology, but he's the one that has so much power to actually, like, 
change the current reality. Like, it, he, like, who is he to ask the Pope to give an apology when he could literally change so much <laughs> about, you know, what people are going through? Yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's a way of showing that they're, that they want reconciliation without doing reconciliation, you know? And I think... I think you're right that the, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't necessarily have a political power, but I think, like, in the scope of a more, like, world politics, you know, they're worth billions of dollars and have, have, you know, these um, dioceses and, and parishes all across the world and across Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And those leaders on a smaller scale, you know, do have power in those in those communities. Yeah, so I think, I mean, the bishop, the Canadian bishops have like pledged to, to raise a certain amount of money, um, as a like gesture of reconciliation, um, for Indigenous communities. We'll see how that goes, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess, yeah, I think that it really just depends on what comes along with the I'm very sorry, you know, like, mm-hmm. great. I do think, yeah, great. That's a really good first step. It would be worse if no recognition was ever given. Um, but for me, when I'm given an apology from an individual, I usually like to hear I'm very sorry for what I've done. And here's how my actions are going to change. Um mm-hmm. And I think that that needs to be precedent on bigger scales, too. Yeah, I I do hope that it's a step forward. Like, I, I know some of the articles I was reading, you know, some Indigenous leaders are feeling quite hopeful. Like, this is something mm-hmm. they lots of Indigenous people thought they would never hear, you know? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. in that sense, it is a, a big moment and a big step. But I think... Um, We'll see if he if he does take up this this first action, which is to to come, you know, to North America, to Canada, to meet with indigenous communities in person and and give that apology that they're asking for to the people who couldn't go to, you know, Rome to to hear this. Um, We'll see. And then however else they may they may kind of put some action behind those words. I mean, I think you're right, but I don't know. Be interesting to see how this plays out, I guess. That's it for another another In the News week. This episode was produced by me, Megan McGill. Music by Justin Kober. Cover art by Sophia Millian. You can find a link to the sources cited in this episode in our show notes, as well as on our website. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And come talk culture with us on Twitter at TalkCulturePod or Instagram at TalkCulturePodcast. And check out our website, TalkingCulture.ca, to pitch an idea or hear more from the McGill Anthro community. 